right. Hey, so really, really glad y'all are here today. And as we start uh, this morning, I want to begin uh, with a question for each of you uh, that I want you to be honest with. Now, here's the thing. I would ask that as you answer the question, like, don't oversell how great you are and don't, you know, don't oversell how bad you are either, right? I just want you to be honest with who you are and yourself. And it's this, in this season, right, the idea of intentional and being people who live intentional in our relationship with Jesus. My question for you so far in, the, in this year is on a scale of 1 to 10, On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing at living intentionally in pursuit of Jesus? Right? Again, being honest with yourself. No one else gets to answer for you. Right? That's good. That's good. But for yourself, if you're honest, and we talked about this several weeks ago, like this idea of living intentionally in pursuit of Jesus, like, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say that you're doing this year? And I don't ask that question if you go, oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible person. and heap coals upon yourself of shame. I, I ask it more of like, oh, my gosh, it's an awakening and a reminder if it's low. Right? If it's high over here, like, my gosh, this is a year like I've never had before. Well done. Just keep running the race. Right? If, you're, if you kind of got off track and the Lord would just say, hey, it's okay, just get back on the track and continue to pursue me, I will empower your running. There's no shame this morning in the, in the question or in the answer of the question for you. I'm just simply asking that you'd be a space of honesty around as you talk about what it means to live intentionally in this year. Now, we've talked about this this year, the idea that we all understand intuitively what it means to be intentional, to be intentional with something or to be intentional with someone that we're going after. Intentional, we said, is the opposite of accidental. Intentional is the opposite of accidental. You understand accidental means something just randomly happens. You have no control over it. You don't know how it happened. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that that happened, right? But intentional is this idea, and you can throw these words on the screen for me. I want you, I want you to see some of these words. Uh, what intentional uses words like this. Throw on the screen for me, please. Is it there? There. We, no, it's not coming up on this screen. It's okay. See if you can figure it out. Here we go. Thank you. Here we go. Intentional. And you understand this. He uses words and phrases like on purpose. Like I'm doing this on purpose. Not by accident. I'm doing it on purpose. It says things like, well, I have a plan. I have a plan. I'm prepared for it, right? I'm, I choose to. I choose something. I choose to do whatever it may be. The idea of put forth effort. I'm putting forth energy. I'm, I'm being intentional with my, my effort. The idea of I'm making a commitment. A commitment to something. These are all words and phrases that we use in the idea of intentional. And when using these words in relationship, when I think about using these words in the context of a relationship that I'm in with someone, I can tell you, I can tell you that someone who enjoys words like this when I use them in a relationship with them is Randall. Right? I can tell you my girls, Anna, Catherine, and Sarah, love it. Right, they're both in college now, and I said, "Hey, I'm be really intentional to set aside time to come over and visit you and take you out to lunch while you're in college." That means a lot to them, right? When I tell her I have a plan for us, I have a plan for us. I'm choosing to spend time with her. I'm putting forth effort to pursue her, or I'm making a commitment to put her first. She loves it. I mean, who wouldn't, right? 
if the person that you are you long to be in relationship with most uses phrases like that to talk about their intention in relationship with you, you respond very well. Right? You're like, oh my gosh, that's, that kind of gets me excited to think that this might possibly happen. And I would tell you this morning, in my opinion, that Jesus is no different. Yes, this is important. He loves you unconditionally. But you have to remember that we are made in his image. And the things that bring us joy naturally are probably no different than things that bring him joy. And when we choose to be intentional in our relationship with him, I live with the belief that it brings him joy. It's, the, it's what we see alluded to in the Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 9, where it says, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Right? The bridegroom speaking to the bride, this picture of God speaking to his people, says, You've kept God speaking to his people, saying, You have captivated my heart. My sister, my bride, you've captivated my heart with one glance of yours. I don't know about you, but if Randall ever used the word captivated when speaking about me, I'd be like, yeah, what's up, y'all? What's up, girl? What's up, happening? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I, would, I would like that. That'd be great. And so when God is saying that over us, I'm like, yes, God. And here's the point. It's not even with intention. It's really just a glance. Like, that's the thing I love. It's like, just with an intentional glance. So Randall's right here, and I just kind of look over, and I give her the look, right? Her heart begins to flutter. You know what I'm saying. It happens every day, right? No, it's like God is saying in the moment that with a single glance, just looking over with intention, his heart is captivated. Again, I think it alludes to the, just the nature of joy that, that God has in relationship with us as we are intentional. These words that we use on purpose have a plan, choosing to, to put forth effort, right? Choose to, to, to make a commitment there. Now, this is what I believe is true about God and his heart of intention, but, and this is not a surprise to you, it's not a surprise to me, it's not a surprise to Jesus. Sometimes, We live at odds with ourselves where we feel at war in our own minds of who we are and who we want to be. What we want to do versus the things that we're actually not doing, right? We have this tension. Sometimes our heart says, be intentional, but our mind doesn't listen. Our mind doesn't obey. We don't do those things that we're telling ourselves to do. Paul lays this familiar tension out in a verse you've all read, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. says, for the desires of the flesh, we're going to talk about that in a second, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, Paul's use of the Greek word sarx here, the word for flesh, it speaks to a person's outlook on life being oriented towards self as opposed to being oriented towards God. The idea that I live my life 
focused on my thoughts, my skills, my abilities, my desires, my longings, independent of the thoughts of God, the heart of God, and the the desires of God's heart for me and for a life. It speaks to a person living self-sufficient, living independent of God. It speaks to the unsanctified passions of the heart, human sinful desires, human sinful affections, human, humans, the sinful principles that we live by. It doesn't take you long to think of a list of things that you know of in life that fit this right here. These things in our life, these people and these moments and these thoughts that we recognize are opposed to God and people who embrace thought processes and belief structures that are completely opposed to the will of the Father. We understand these things. Therefore, a life lived in the flesh speaks to the fallen, sinful nature of human beings, a life separated from God. In contrast to the flesh that Paul names, Paul uses the word spirit. Word spirit, capital S, in these verses, which represents God's spirit that now resides in the lives of believers. The Spirit of God that leads us, guides us, convicts us, and empowers us. Those are key phrases to think about the work that God's Spirit does when the Spirit of God comes into us. He lives with us. He leads us. He guides us. He convicts us. And He empowers us. And read those words again. Take a deep breath and hear these. Spirit lives with us, leads us, guides us, convicts us, and empowers us. The word here is literally derived from the Greek word for wind or breath. So in the Old Testament, it's the ruach, the breath of God that he breathed into the clay to to give life to Adam, to man. Right? The breath of God that he breathed from the very beginning, Adam, this clay was dead. And all of a sudden, God breathed breath. And the idea is the breath of God is able to take dead things and make them live, make them live. And so the idea here is this, that God's spirit now resides in us. And it is the wind of God or the breath of God. And as in God in salvation, coming to his people and breathing his breath into their bodies and taking them from death to spiritual life. His breath fills his people. His breath gives them life. The work of God's spirit. And so Paul comes into this moment and says to us, listen, each of you are now made up of this, this flesh, this part of you, this, this part that's still sinful in nature, this lower nature of self. But if you are a Christ follower, you now also are made up of spirit, God's spirit that resides in you and that lives in you. And the idea is that they live in tension. Just real quick at the show of hands, and if it's you, I want you to answer with an affirmative hand raised. I want you to encourage everybody else. If you recognize this tension between these two polar opposites in your life, would you raise your hand? Right? And I think the reality is you're like, oh, my gosh, okay, I'm super nervous. Right? No, it's like absolutely. Some of you are like, absolutely, man. You're describing every day of my life. Right? Living in this tension. Again, we intuitively experience what Paul is naming here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. 
For each of us, we have to remember that we were born into our sarks. We were born into our flesh. I don't mean flesh like this. I mean, right, that sinful nature. And then salvation, God takes this dead being and breathes into you, and you become spiritually alive. And Paul says, now in this moment, our lives are now a mixture of flesh, this old part that we won't get rid of until we actually die, and spirit, God's spirit that now resides in us, and they are at odds with one another. And the goal of Jesus in our lives, this is important, the goal of Jesus in our lives is that our spirit life continues to increase and our flesh life continues to decrease and that we live intentional lives of pursuing the spirit and intentional lives of dying to our flesh. Like we have to recognize that the goal of the Father is that you as an individual are continuing to increase in the life of the Spirit, the surrender to the Spirit, the leadership of the Spirit, saying yes to the Spirit, and continually saying no to the flesh, and no to the flesh, and no to the flesh. The picture, to be honest with you, is just a picture of simple maturity. Like, like I love my girls. They're 21 and, 21 and 19. And I'll be really honest. I am so glad that my 20-year-old daughter is not acting like a 4-year-old anymore. Praise God. Because someone say amen to that, right? Because that's the nature of maturity. I don't want to go, oh, my God, I just love having a, a four-year-old in my 20-year-old daughter's body going to college. That, what could go wrong with that, right? No, man, it's like the nature of the natural speaks to the heart of God for the spiritual. That our lives are in a context and a continual process of maturity. I will tell you this, literally, when I turned 50 this year, I know I don't got old, thank you, but when I turned 50 this year, I look back on my leadership as a 40-year-old, and I'm like, what was vintage thinking having me as their pastor? I mean, literally, I literally thought that. I'm like, God, man, I could have royally screwed them. But I was in my mid-30s when I got here, and people followed me. That's crazy, right? Everybody's like, yeah, it was a, it was a real step of faith, Steve, right? But my point, you see the point, like, in this, this idea of growing in my spirit and dying to my flesh, like, that's what I look for in, in, in maturity with my girls. They, they go from, like, immaturity relationally, emotionally, and spiritually, and they are intentionally every day growing and growing and growing in spiritual maturity and self-confidence and the knowledge of Jesus and their identity in Christ. And so the idea is, like, again, the, the natural is just as a picture of what God's doing in the spiritual. So this idea of, of flesh and spirit and this tension, there's this understanding that God's desire is to continue to do this. He must increase, as John the Baptist said, and I must decrease. You could play that out in so many areas of your life. And this is one of them here. We live this idea of living in this place. And so... The goal of Jesus in our life, again, spirit life continues to increase, flesh life continues to decrease. But I think we all know, and I just want to give you a break. It isn't easy. Like, I don't know about you, and I just want to be like, you I wrestle, I wrestle with this tension. I wrestle with these two pieces, these things that are at, odd in, are at odds in me. I wrestle with them. 
and I'm a pastor. Can you believe it? Right? Is this the experience of every human being? I love that Scripture says that Jesus himself was tempted in every way that a man was. Or a human being is, not just man. Women struggle too. And I'll be honest with you, there is so much theological tension and arguing around just what did the temptation for Jesus look like? Did he really feel tempted because he was God? Or was he really human? And like this whole like dynamic of like God tension and human tension. And let's just be honest. Scripture's not really clear except that he tells us he was tempted in every way that man was, which meant in some form or fashion there was a draw that the human nature of Jesus, human part of Jesus, had to have felt. And the way, only way you can be tempted is that there's a draw towards something. And the language of it around the temptation was so that we could recognize Jesus identifies with our struggle. And so all I'm getting at this morning is to talk about this tension. I don't think Jesus is up in heaven saying, well, guys, I can do it, right? I mean, get your stuff together, guys. Pull those bootstraps up and do better. He's like, oh, my God, I get it. Whew. Man, I remember that moment as a human being for those 33 years. Right? I remember that. That was Yes, I have compassion for you. And so we land, we land in this moment. It isn't easy. Paul names the tension in Galatians 5. And then Jesus, we read it a second ago, and Jesus then gives his disciples a warning about it in Matthew 26, 41, a word we do well to remember when he says to his disciples who are with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Hear this again. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, with all this in mind, I, one, recognizing the battle is real. I want you to start here, right? Jesus said so. Number two, with this in mind, recognize our flesh is weak, and in itself, your flesh, this sinful part, sinful nature can never be redeemed, right? It's something that needs to slowly die in us, or quickly, depending on how hard you go after fighting, or how hard you really go after the Spirit of God. Listen, I would say this, you don't defeat sin by going after sin, you defeat sin by going after Jesus. It's a really important caveat, right? I I move towards that thing which I'm looking at, right? So if I'm driving and I look to my left, I go to the left, right? So if I'm driving with Jesus, I don't conquer sin by going and driving straight into it. I look at Jesus and I turn towards him, right? It's a real practical piece. But the place I want to start with as we talk about this life and how we move forward is this. And I'm going to make it short and sweet. It's on the screen, number one. The spirit is stronger than the flesh and will win out if we are intentional. Right? This is important. The spirit is stronger than the flesh and will win out if we are intentional. This is not Star Wars. Right? Where the force is over here, right? And the dark side's over here. And the dark side's always a little bit stronger. And Darth Vader's always a little bit cooler, right? It's like over here, Luke's really whiny, right? No, right? So that's not that. There's nothing going on like that. There's no equal over here. Spirit is here. Flesh is here. 
And so when we come into this moment, one of the great lies of the enemy is to tell you he's stronger. He's not. He's not. The spirit is stronger than the flesh and will win out if we are intentional. It's the nature of maturity like I've already talked about. Look at, look at verse 16 of Galatians 5. On the screen it says this, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or your sinful nature. Now, as I went, you already see the paraphrase. Some of you are cheating and reading ahead. That's fine. But as I read, I thought, I love this paraphrase. This guy named Philip said, he said this. Here is my advice. Kind of just paraphrasing this verse, kind of putting in a little bit different language. Here's my advice. So it's like speaking for, for Paul, like, here's my advice for you. Live your whole life in the spirit. And you will not satisfy, satisfy the desires of your lower nature. I just think we sometimes should just focus on that. I think we should meditate on that. Do you believe it? Is it true? Scripture says that we believe that it's true. Here's my advice. Live your whole life in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of your sinful nature. Some of you should go home and go, all right, I need to focus on this for the next three months and meditate on nothing less than the power of God's spirit in me. Walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. I love this. The order of this verse, and I want you to hear this, the order of this verse is our starting point for success over our flesh. It says, live your life with the Spirit, right? The Spirit is stronger. It says, walk by the Spirit. The idea of walk by the Spirit means to live your life with the Spirit, Live your life in the Spirit. Live your life around the Spirit. Live your life submitted to the Spirit. Live your life invested into God's Spirit. Do you see what the primary investment of your life is to be? How do we, how do we have sin die and Spirit come alive? I'm giving the best of my energies into investing into the Spirit of God, Jesus, the work of God in my life with intention. Right? This is the place I start with the Spirit. Success over our flesh begins and ends with the empowerment of God's Spirit in your life. God's Spirit is not equal in power to our flesh. Spirit can always win. Galatians 5 agrees with the ever-familiar Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Everybody take a deep breath. Galatians 5 agrees. Here's my advice. Live your whole life in the spirit, not satisfy the desires of your lower nature. I can do all things through Jesus who gives the strength. That's the starting point. What I'm looking at is this. I wake up every day. And again, recognizing spirit represents Trinity, represents God, represents Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? I live my life every day with an intentional pursuit of and connection to the Godhead. Because only in the Godhead do I have strength. Because it's the Spirit of God that conquers sin. Number two, we have to be honest. And so I'm just asking to be honest intention, intentional, intentionally honest, but be intentional about the opposing kingdoms in our lives. We have to be honest about and intentional about the opposing kingdoms in our lives. So we're going to talk about the opposing kingdoms here. 
the Spirit empowers, but we have responsibility in how we live. Look at Mark 3. In Mark 3, we're going to see this story where Jesus has polar opposite experiences with two different groups of people. On one side, Jesus has all these supporters who are flooding the house because they want to be near him. They want to hear him. They want to receive from him. They believe he is powerful. He is good. But on the flip side, we see the teachers of the law who is saying that Jesus is demon-possessed and that his powers to cast out the demons that they've seen the demons cast out, right, comes from the power of another demon. The idea is saying, well, you're using a demon to cast out a demon. It's not really God. So you have these two polar opposite experiences right here. And then Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, responds, I think, with logic and with wisdom, as he says in the second half of verse 23, this on the screen, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. In context, Jesus is speaking about spiritual kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the enemy. But the wisdom, listen, the wisdom of the statement transcends the specifics of any story. Any house divided against itself, any kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So, listen. Any political system divided against itself in time will not be able to stand. Any boardroom that's divided against itself in time will not stand. Any staff experience that is divided against itself in time will not stand. Any marriage institution, any marriage that ultimately has two people divided against itself will not be able to last. Or any individual that's divided against him or herself between soul and, excuse me, between spirit and flesh and time cannot stand. Hear this. We cannot be sympathetic to our flesh with its passions and its longings. We cannot think that we just have things under control in our flesh. We have to be intentional to hate sin and to love Jesus. And if not, in time, our divided loyalties of these two kingdoms will seemingly all of a sudden sneak up and take us out. I don't know if you read the news, and I don't know if you listen to spiritual news, but have you seen all the pastors who have had moral failings just this year? Some of you in this room are having moral failings right now, and you don't like this. The moral failings are because somewhere along the way, they said yes to God's spirit, and then flesh began to creep in. And they probably began to get tired, get overwhelmed. It's hard to lead. Oh, poor me. I just need to do something that kind of satisfies me and the longings. And I, I just like I need the dopamine drop. And if I look at this over here, it's going to give me a drop. I'm going to feel better, and it's going to be helpful, and it's going to be great. And, oh, my gosh, but I'm all this. It's like this tension, tension, tension. So all of a sudden, quote, unquote, it sneaks up. I don't know how that happened. Because you became 
sympathetic to the passions and the longings and the voice in your own life. I had a dream, man, years and years ago. It's probably like 20, 21, 22 years old. It sticks with me. I think about it every week. God brings it to mind. In my dream, I am... You know, I'm walking, you know how dreams are, they're weird, right? But you're walking, and, and, and I'm with someone, I don't know who it is, right? And I think it's probably Jesus, and I'm walking, and I come around this corner, and there's this little small just mound, little hill, like grassy hill. You know what I'm talking about? Probably about as wide as this right here, and there's this little fence about this tall, right? Where someone of my athletic prowess can just jump it very easily, right? And so I, I'd say, you know, I'm getting, anybody can just step right over, it's not doing anything. The fence is not doing what fences are supposed to do. And then I look over, and there's a small little wooden stake in the ground. And connected to that little wooden stake is this really small, like, little string. And attached to that string is a collar, and that collar is around a huge Jurassic Park-type T-Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know what I'm getting at, right? And he's, like, as imposing as you think he should be. And I'm in my dream, and I'm like, oh, like, it was like this. I'm like, oh, my God, right? And, and he was just sitting there, not docile, not moving, just kind of sitting there like this, you know, whatever, right? And not, really, not even looking at me, just kind of doing his thing. But I'm like, I feel it. Like, I know that dude, man, he can just, like, reach over and stick me in his mouth and just eat me. Right? I've seen Jurassic Park. I know what they do. Right? They eat everything. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I'm like. Oh, like, and so I literally start tiptoeing <laughs> as if he can't hear me. Doop, 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 right? And I come around the corner, like, and I just can't, I can't stop thinking about it. In my dream, I can't stop thinking about it, can't stop thinking about it, can't stop thinking about it. And then I wake up at some point, right? But I immediately I woke up went straight back to that dream. Because I've always learned over the years that if I have a dream and I wake up and I just cannot stop thinking about it, a lot of times it's a God dream, Right? And so I'm like, God, is there something you're trying to speak to me in this dream? And in the moment, I felt like God was really clear and said, the T-Rex represents your flesh, represents the thing, the sin that you think you have control over in life. But like the small fence, the small leash, and the small stake can't control the T-Rex, neither can you ultimately in your own power control your sin. Stop being sympathetic to the T-Rex and kill it. That's what I woke up to. Kill it. My takeaway is I am not strong enough to control my sin. Only God is strong enough by his spirit to lead me, to empower me. But God is calling me to be intentional in how I deal with my flesh. I am not sympathetic to it. I don't look at my passions and my human longings and the desires of my flesh and say, but I feel that, and I want that. The greatest thing, listen, the greatest thing that God tells you a lot of times is no, no, because it's going to kill you. And so you have to begin being aware of those passions. You have to begin being aware of those longings. You have to begin being aware of these fleshly things that are consuming you and consuming your thoughts and say, Spirit of God, I only have a small fence and a small stake and a small leash. Help! God, I want to crucify my flesh and I know only you can do it. Your cross is the only way it happens. The Spirit of God. 
But I have to be intentional in recognizing my flesh. I have to be honest. Listen, some of you have become experts at defending the sympathies you have towards your flesh. And you need to be honest. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus as I am processing it. But I've got to be honest and intentional. Which leads me to the third piece, and this is the end. True fulfillment, excuse me, true life fulfillment is found living a fasted lifestyle. And they're like, what does that phrase even mean? But true fulfillment is found living a fasted lifestyle. And I think it's kind of a, that kind of is a picture of everything we're talking about this morning. A fasted lifestyle doesn't mean we are literally physically fasting all the time, all, although it can be a key discipline, it should be a key discipline that we embrace. Instead, it means this, and you can put this on the screen for me, a life that is lived under God's control and not under the control of the passions of your body, under the control of your circumstances. Right? Just look at that skin. A life that's lived under God's control, not my own, not under the control of the passions of our body, under the control of your circumstances. I recognize it's like kind of the everyday Romans 12, that every day is a choice for me to offer my body, my mind, and my soul and spirit as a living sacrifice to Jesus. Living sacrifice. Everything I have, Jesus, I submit to you today. Holy Spirit, I just submit to your leadership today. I'm not going to be sympathetic to these thoughts and feelings over here. This is an intentional lifestyle choice. Jesus paints the picture of what this looks like in Mark 8. I'm going to read it and go through the three things that I see very quickly. It says this, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him because Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, was to be one who was to come and to conquer, set them free from Roman rule, to come be a warrior king, to fight, and literally to, to kind of take over and be king of Israel, as David was, and just lead them into glory. And Paul, Peter's coming saying, Jesus, you're missing it. Listen, I love you, man, but you were completely missing it right here. That is not the call that God has on your life. And then Jesus comes to Peter and rebukes him in verse 33. He says, get behind me, Satan, big statement, right? And said, you, listen, this is the, this is the key part. Don't get stuck on that part over here. Get stuck, on, get stuck here. You do not have the mind, says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves must take up the cross, must follow me. For whoever, paradox, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The pieces Jesus names that we are called to embrace in a fasted lifestyle, one, a life intentionally living aware of God's concerns above our own, right? We are, you, you did not have your concerns, but God's concerns. Listen, the things you wrestle with, lean towards, etc., are they things concerning God or things only concerning you? 
Like the things that you wrestle with, you think about, you process every day, do they concern God? What I mean by that is the things and the thoughts that consumed you this week, did they consume God? Fear and doubt and worry, like these things that cripple, now these things consuming God. And I'll just be honest with you, they weren't. Like he may have compassion for him, but they weren't consuming him, which means in some ways I had the thoughts of Steve and those things that were consuming rather than being still to find God because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I'll only find that as I find myself in the spirit of God, hearing him, releasing all of these things to Jesus and saying, these aren't your thoughts. They're the thoughts of my fallen flesh who tries to control things things, but doesn't have the strength to do it, so I live in fear that I can't control, so God, help. He says, finally ask, thank you, right? They don't consume me, they don't have to consume you, so then I live my life then on the journey of not being consumed by the thoughts that never consume Jesus. That's the journey from flesh to spirit. Doesn't mean I'm not honest about things, doesn't mean hardships don't come, but it means in the spirit that they never consume me because they never consume Jesus. Second thing, these pieces and the facet lifestyle. So a life intentionally living aware of God's concerns of our own. It's also a life intentionally dying to self, dying to sarks, dying to that flesh. He says, deny self, take up the cross. Deny self. The passions of the world, the passions of my heart, this independence that's separated from God. And I choose every day to die to those things, to be alive to the spirit. It's what we learn from fasting for those of you that are 21 day fast. I choose to abstain from food or earthly distractions so they no longer have control over me. And I can choose to give control to Jesus because he has the ability and the power to sustain me and give me life. It's the, this is the spiritual version of what we practiced in the physical. Jesus can sustain me at all times as I lean into him. The third thing for this piece is that Jesus names the fasted lifestyle, life spent looking for and following Jesus, right? It says, deny self, take up your cross. And he says, follow me. Follow me. And you know what it means to follow someone? You're like, where are they? Where are they? There they are. And I get behind them, just like, like, hey, look back here at our children's leaders, elementary students, and you can head out and follow them, right? Following as I'm looking, I'm intentionally looking for the one that I'm following. In Jeremiah 29, 13, you love this verse, when God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. When you seek me with intention, you put your heart in a context of pursuing me and following me. The paradox of our lives, according to Jesus here in Mark 8.35, is clear. And this is on the screen. You find the life you've been looking for and dying to the natural life that you know. You find the life that you've been looking for and dying to the natural life that you know. Listen, when I sit down, this is, this is a little bit exposing. Everyone hear this, please. Take a deep breath. Focus right here. When I sit down with someone and I ask them how they're doing, and the only thing they can talk about for the majority of their time 
is just their job. And it's the only thing I ever talk to them about. Then I think to myself, I think there's something of following Jesus that they're missing. It's good to talk about work, but it's never the primary. It is always the secondary. If all I can talk about is making money, then they've shown me what the T-Rex is in their life. If all they ever talk about is the, the frustrations they have with someone, the fear that they have in life, this not having enough, then I recognize, oh, that's the T-Rex in their life. They've got to look to Jesus, deny self, because that's the only way they're going to find the life they've been looking for, which is to die to the natural life of these things over here. I want to give you this prayer right here. It's a prayer that came up this week. This is a devotional prayer. You can take a picture of this as you want. I take I always take devotional prayers that I read place read places and I just kind of personalize them as they get comfortable. It says, Jesus, our living truth, how easily I fail to discern good from evil, not recognizing the true source of things, the things that I'm processing, going on in life. Empower me by your Holy Spirit to see clearly. Judge rightly, speak truly, so that your name may be glorified in all that I think, all that I do, and all that I say. In Jesus' name, amen. All I'm doing is simply giving you a prayer that's a prayer we can pray and engage every day that leads us to a fasted lifestyle, right? Of living aware of God's concerns above my own, a life intentionally dying to self, and a life spent looking for and following Jesus. Listen, living victoriously, this is the last paragraph that I have, so the worship team can come forward. Living victoriously over our flesh, living alive in our spirit, requires everything we've named this morning becomes more possible, this is important, as we live in community with others who are challenging and encouraging us, as we have those in our lives who are holding us accountable. It becomes more possible as we embrace the spiritual disciplines, as we spend time in prayer, scripture, and worship, all their disciplines. But the place we must start is with intentionality, on purpose, commitment, putting effort behind. We must be intentional in our pursuit of dying to our flesh and be intentional in pursuit of God's Spirit. We are already empowered. Now we must be responsible in choosing Him. So go back to my first question that I asked you, and it's this. On a scale of 1 to 10, don't break that guitar, Greg. (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing at intentionally pursuing Jesus, dying to your flesh, maturing and quote-unquote being sanctified, which simply means growing into the process of becoming more like Jesus.